Well, this morning, turn in your Scriptures to Matthew chapter 5. And we're continuing on our series of Let It Rain, which we just started last week. And this series is connected to the idea <clears throat> that because of all that we're going through, and all the news captions and the separation that we have, that maybe we're in a dry season. Maybe we need a fresh anointing from the Lord. Right? And so, the Lord directed me into the Beatitudes. And as we start actually digging in today, we'll get into the first Beatitude. But I want to remind you where we started last week with this dry season. This morning, we're talking about the idea of verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do I impress upon you, how does the Lord impress upon you what this means, poor in spirit? Well, I'm a huge fan of Dallas Willard, but I'm just a recent huge fan of Dallas Willard. I'm a huge fan because of this book, Soul Keeping, and I think that this is so instrumental in a believer's life and what Ortberg has for us with God's instructions, that if you see a copy of this around campus anywhere and it doesn't have a name in it, you pick it up and take it. We purchased this book three times over and we want it in your library, so it's a freebie for you. Um, I'm down to two books on campus. We're going to do a reorder. But what's interesting is, as Ortberg talks about the soul and how important the soul is, he's basically relaying things he learned from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a mentor of his, and Willard uh, is a brilliant mind, um, was a brilliant mind. Uh, he went to be home with the Lord in, I believe, 2013. But there's a story in here from chapter to chapter. Ortberg starts talking as he relays these principles for us to learn and wrestle with about the soul and how deeply important the soul is. Basically, he's relaying what he's learned scripturally from the mentorship of Dallas Willard. Now, Dallas Willard is a very unassuming man. And where I got more vested in looking into who he is as an individual, how God has wired him and created him, has everything to do with one of the introductory sections of this book. And before I get into that, before we start painting pictures, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, this morning as we look to this idea of being poor in spirit, speak mightily. Let that which is profound flow into our soul that it may transform us into Your likeness, God. Let these words encourage, lift us up, and give us guidance in a day where there are so many questions. Reveal Yourself to us, Father. To You be all glory. Amen. Where it got my attention in this book about who Dallas Willard is had everything to do with 
Dallas speaking at a big convention, one of these big Christian conventions. And, and the way that these go is that we often borrow from how the world does these things, right? And so you go into a big convention center, you walk to the gate, you, you show your wristband, and they give you a big, gigantic lanyard around your neck. You look you're like you're part of the White House press secretary. And, uh, and so now you got your lanyard. Now you walk in and there's, there's all the merch and, and kiosk upon kiosk of all this merch that you can invest in. And then there's all these ministry tents. Every ministry known to mankind is at these conferences. And there's just a buzz and an excitement, and it's all about bigness. And, and here's this, But that pales in comparison. Hall C, Hall B, right? The lobbies all pale in comparison to the main event. And so the main event is usually in Hall A, and that's where it was this day. And, and Ortberg walks in because that's where Willard asked him to meet him after this conference, and he was the keynote speaker. And, and so Ortberg walks in and he's seeing, you know, one of these giant halls and it's all dark and there's, there's strobe lights going and, and there's super loud music going and there's a hype guy and there's guys with t-shirt cannons shooting stuff out in the crowd and the crowd screaming and yelling and, and doing the wave and, you know, all this stuff. And Ortberg looks at all this and says, Dallas Willard, you're speaking here? They're going to eat him up. How is this going to go? There's a picture of Dallas. Not exactly what you would picture. As a matter of fact, the way Ortberg describes him this day, he's a diminutive figure. He's small in stature. And I think the way, maybe it was just me putting conjecture onto the story, but I think literally he said, Ortberg walked up with his little round glasses and he's standing behind a microphone and he's wearing a bow tie. Now, when you think about a guy who's in his 70s with little glasses, little man, wearing a bow tie, and the, the, the scene I described to you, you can imagine why Ortberg would say, oh my goodness, this guy is going to get eaten up and spit out. Something unique happened. This very charitable philosopher, brilliant mind, man of God, stood behind the microphone. And for all the glorious fanfare that was going on, all the white noise that was going on, he simply stood there. And to a crowd of 20-something hipsters, 30 and 40-something millennials, whether it was your age, your creed, whether it was your, your race, your skin color, your socioeconomic, it didn't matter. What happened through Dallas Willard over that next half hour was a leveling effect that went beyond what any man could ever do. And it was one of the most powerful experiences in Ortberg's life. And I wish I could have been there. And this man spoke with such eloquence and such humility and such tenderness and power all at the same time that He commanded the attention of every soul in that room. And that was the only thing people remembered from that conference that year. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It has everything to do with us pulling ourselves out of the equation and letting God 
do much more than we could ever possibly imagine. Willard says this when it comes to the soul. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not eternal circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. What we're speaking to today speaks to the soul. And I encourage you, get this book. Uh, We'll order it this week and you should be able to pick it up around here on campus. Um, We'll have some copies out there. Um, it, It really does attend to the deeper things in life. So, picking up Matthew 5. Let's look at this. Are you in a dry season? And you know what's interesting about the Beatitudes is it's really easy to memorize them. Right? They come in these little bite-sized chunks that just focusing on this in and of itself has so much for you to dwell on and live in or under or through. And yet it's something that we can, we can get our heads wrapped around quickly. So let's say this together. Ready? Let's try this. Uh, now don't chant it. We're not supposed to chant, folks. So I don't know what that looks like, but, but we're just going to say this together. Oh, ready, here we go. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is blessed? Well, let me get into defining that. What does it mean to be blessed or blessed? So, if we were to start off with the, what this word means, the Greek, the Greek word here, you could start off with this idea that I have in front of you. Happy, fortunate, blissful. Right? How many of you have walked around this past week and somebody asked you how you are and you said, I'm fortunate. And, and you're really excited about that. Right? You know, when we use the word fortunate, it's, it's almost like a, you know, Miss Kentucky. Right? Always the runner-up. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Right? You know, it, it's like, it's a consolation prize. Uh, yeah, fortunate. You know, we don't, we don't think in terms with that word as like being like, wow, that's where I want to be. I want to be fortunate. But it's still a good word. Right? Happy. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. But how many of you go around telling people, when, it, when somebody asks you, right? Carl, when somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing today? Do you ever say, I'm happy? I mean, you could, if you do, you could say that. But mom's saying no. He never says that. Okay, so Carl's saying no. I never say happy. Right? Back in the day when I used to serve, somebody asked me how, you know, how, I'm, I'm stoked. Right? I'm stoked. Right? I mean, we all have our little ways of saying things. But I still, I'm not buying happy. The one thing we're definitely not walking around saying is, I'm blissful. I encourage you this week when somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing today? I'm blissful. You're gonna just throw that one out there and see how people respond because you're going to get some weird looks. But it might engage in a good conversation, Right? So here we have these three terms that don't really work well with our common vernacular. That's where I'm getting to. Is while these these definitions fit the Greek word for blessed, it doesn't really capture how we relate and how we describe ourselves in relation to what Jesus is trying to say. What is He trying to say? If he says it over and over and over and over, and it certainly seems to be a good thing as a result of doing this very difficult thing, I think we really need to know, don't we? 
So here's a good definition. How about this idea? Satisfied and pleased regardless of my circumstances. Thank you, sisters. I am now blessed. See how that worked? That was, that was symbiotic right there. Satisfied and pleased regardless of my circumstance. Now we're talking, right? Now we're in a Tony Robbins self-help convention. Now you had me at $100 million if you just flip this house and buy my real estate promotional stuff. Right? Now you're invested. Here's the problem with the Beatitudes. When we go back to verse 45, which is where our sermon title series is, let it rain, play on words, Jesus reigning in our lives, right? But the idea coming from verse 45, for He makes it rain on the good and the evil. What? That's not my idea of God. He's supposed to make it rain, it being His grace, right? He's supposed to make that grace rain on those that are doing really well. Here's something fascinating. Get the whole picture, right? How many of you love being able to sit there and ruin it for everybody during a mystery? During CSI? I know who you are. Right? Oh, you know. Gosh. All right. Let's go for pizza. Okay. So, that's what's going to happen here. Is we go to the end of the chapter and he says, what? He says, God makes it rain. My Father makes it rain on the good and the evil. Or, if you have the NASB or the NIV, it says on the just and unjust or the righteous and unrighteous. Why would he say that after he gets through this whole pattern of blessed are you who do this, do this? Because what happens is this is a foreshadowing. Has anybody ever made a prediction to you? Has anybody ever laid out to you, hey, you know what, this is what's going to happen in, in, in these forecasters, right? We all see the things on, all over the news about people who predicted the last election, people who predicted the stock market, people who predicted this and that and the other. And people spend millions of dollars listening to those individuals because they want to know. You now have that from Jesus Christ in context to all the Beatitudes. Get ready. The Beatitudes are impossible for you to do. They are impossible for me to do. But the beauty of God's grace raining down on us, the beauty of that is, in and of myself, I can't do it. But if I am willing to decrease that He might increase, right? If I am willing to be poor in spirit, that He may increase and shine through me, guess what I now am? I'm blessed. Because God is doing more through me than I could ever possibly imagine. Here's the interesting thing about the Beatitudes. There's a tension. Right? There's a tension here. It's kind of like, have you do, do any of you remember how your parents used to con you into doing chores? Right? Did any of you get promised five bucks at the end of the week if you did your chores? And then if you're part of my household, you never got it. That's called capitalism in its finest moment. No, I'm just kidding. If you're new, that, that doesn't really happen. Um, 
I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, so you're going to have to really depend on the Lord to figure out what's true, what's not true from here. The idea is this, is that Jesus is foreshadowing. This is the beginning of His ministry. And He knows that what is being asked, He knows that what He is saying, people will look at it and say, that makes no sense. You're asking me to give up Myself in order to get this. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. But what's beautiful about this is then Jesus goes on to demonstrate this for three years. He shows this is attainable. So when He says in verse 45, for God makes it rain on the just and the unjust, guess who's the unjust? I am. And the beauty of that promise is when I want to be poor in spirit, it's easy sometimes for me to be poor in spirit to Janine. Or maybe it's easy for me to be poor in spirit to Sinet, right? But it may not be easy for me to be poor in spirit to Luke because he likes the giants and I love the angels, right? So I'm going to have a little tension there. Now, you know, extrapolate that out into real world scenario. We have a world that is divided. We have churches that are getting divided because the enemy, Satan, and God are divided and both are at work. And so when Jesus lays out the Beatitudes, what He's saying is, if you truly want to experience the blessing of the Kingdom of Heaven, this is what it looks like. This is what you need to do. And it is impossible for you to do it. But it was impossible for Dallas Willard with a bow tie and his little small glasses to stand in front of a crowd of 20 and 30-somethings and command the room. Nobody in their right mind ever would have booked him. And yet, that's all people were talking about. Because he practiced what it means to be poor in spirit. So it's not impossible, my friends. And the benefits and the reaping, you saw Dallas's own testimony to this. The benefits and the things that we reap from this are tremendous. So what is blessed? Well, let me give a little bit more definition to this. Jesus and Thomas, John 20-29. through 29. Many of you know the story, right? That Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. And Thomas is what? Thomas is upset. He's scared. He's griping. And he's saying, unless I see the what? The marks, the scars, right? I won't believe. So Jesus walks right to Thomas with exactly what he needs. And he says, Thomas, come here. Feel this. Feel this. It's me. And then Jesus says in verse 29 something very important and it matches this word blessed. Right? This idea to be satisfied and pleased regardless of my circumstances. He says, Thomas, you believed because you touched. You believed because you saw. And here it comes. Jesus Himself says, And He's thinking of you and I in this moment right now while He's talking to Thomas. What a beautiful foreshadowing. He said, but blessed, same word, blessed are those who do not see and believe. And brothers and sisters, that's the sprinkling. We talk in terms of this series, sprinkled, soaked, and drenched. Sprinkled, soaked, and drenched. And so today I'm going to give you a little bit deeper definition of this. When we're using the, um, the metaphor of rain, you know, sometimes we walk out and we get caught 
in the rain and it starts to sprinkle. And what do we do? We run for cover. Sometimes when people experience the incredible measure of God's grace, they experience and they enjoy it, but it scares them a little bit. And so they duck and they run under their old circumstances and they, they choose to hang out in what's familiar and safe because they're worried about what they experience. Yeah, that was kind of interesting and it was unique. But I'm not sure. And yet there are those who say, that was really good. I want more of it. And so they step out. They seek more. So sprinkling this morning, let's define it this way. He will rain His grace upon us even when we are unworthy. Right? Verse 45. God is going to show His grace. At some point in your life, God has demonstrated His grace towards you that while you were yet a sinner... Christ died for you. There's the sprinkling. Now this morning, do you say, I want to get soaked. I want more of that sprinkling. I want so I'm fully immersed in it. And so that's the definition of soak this morning. We, having been sprinkled with His grace, commit our entire self. We commit our entire self. And then third, drenched. What's the next step? We, having been immersed in His grace, become unrecognizable. If you're going to hold on to anything today, hold on to that idea. Because that is what is required to do what Jesus is asking. It's that it's less of me and more of Him. To a point where you can no longer recognize me, but all you see is Jesus. That is what is required in order to do these Beatitudes well. Now, doesn't that sound impossible? Why even attempt it? Because I want that satisfaction and I want that pleasing in my life that goes way beyond my circumstances. Amen? And not only that, I want to to take leisurely, temporary strolls in the rural gardens of heaven. What do I mean by that? I'll get to it in about two and a half hours. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Oh no, I'm just kidding. That's the spiritual gift of sarcasm. I might be kidding, I might not. Okay, what is poor in spirit? Again, it's this idea to shrink, to cower, to cringe. So we've talked about what blessed is. We've defined it. And and by the way, uh, coming off of that understanding, another illustration I want to give to you is that of George Mueller. He's a hero of mine. And George Mueller was in England in the 19th century and he saw a need of orphans. Because of the plague. Hundreds of thousands of small children that had nowhere to go. In dire, horrible circumstances. It was laid on his heart to do something. To practice social justice. To care for those. To love his neighbor as he loves himself. And yet George Mueller never asked for money. What an amazing thing. George Mueller never asked for money, and yet what was the result? Millions of people walk this earth today because of what God did through George Mueller's ministry. Millions of people are in the kingdom of heaven because of George Mueller's ministry. And so when he was asked one day, what is the secret of your success? Let me read it to you. I have this up on the wall in my office. And it's a direct quote from the book, The Secret of George Mueller's Success. And he says this, There was a day when I died. I utterly died. 
Now let me explain to you, he never asked for any money, and yet he built, I believe, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm off on this, but there's at least eight huge dormitories on this property that were built. He never asked for food. He never asked for any donations. He never took a salary. And yet what he was able to provide in the midst of a huge pandemic, God went way beyond what George Mueller could ever do because he understood blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what Mueller said when asked, how did you do it? He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died. And then the biographer wrote this, and as he spoke, he bent lower until he almost touched the floor. And he continued on in that position and said, died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the approval or censure. Died to approval or blame even of my brothers and friends. And since then have studied only to show myself approved unto God. George Mueller was always considered a man of great faith. There's been many books titled The Gift of Faith or The Faith of George Mueller. When he was asked, he said, I don't have the gift of faith. It's not my giftedness. Well then, how did you accomplish these great things that nobody else could accomplish? He said, well, because I know the promises of God. I just pray the promises of God. And it happens. George Mueller has to decrease in order that Christ would increase. His opinions, his taste, his will, so that Jesus may become profound and so that we might be blessed. Millions blessed because he chose to go that direction. Does that sound countercultural to all that we hear and see on the media, around our town? maybe even in our own households today. There is one of your answers. Let's get into what is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, you would think the word poor uh, is a title. We use it as a title, do we not? Right? Have you ever described yourself as poor to someone? Right? I have. To my wife, often. She hears it all the time. I walk around the house whining, poor me, poor me, poor me. And she says, what? Oh, you're right. Poor you. No, she says, get going. Get up, get going. Why don't you pray for a while if you got the poor me, right? Actually, that never happens. I'm just trying to help you understand. That's not what this is. This is a verb. This word for poor is a verb. It means it's in action. And the way that I can best describe it is these three words, shrink, cower, or cringe. And I want you to picture walking through the streets of San Francisco. And I want you to picture seeing someone who is begging. And there are those that will walk straight up to you and ask you what? Do you have some spare change, right? Because they're in need. They need it to rain, right? And so some will wash your windows. Some will 
sing a song, some will tell you a joke, some will just ask for the money. That's not this person. This person is the individual that is cowering in the alley right at the edge of the corner of the street. And they have their head down like this. And they just hold their hand up like this. This is what it means to be poor. This is what this word is that Jesus chooses. And words matter so that you truly understand what was Jesus saying? The difference here is the difference between Lazarus the beggar and the widow at the temple. The widow at the temple walked straight up to the box and she gave what she had. But she wasn't this. Lazarus was this. In a continual progressive level to the point where he eventually just died because he was so destitute. But it's more so than that. It's a realization of how destitute you truly are. That's what this word poor means. Is a realization or actualization of what my spiritual sense truly is. I am worthless spiritually in and of myself. And when I contemplate and when I think about how separated from God, how immersed in sin I am, the proper response is to go like this, not like this, not like this, but to be down in this position, reaching out to heaven, saying, I'm not worthy to ask, but please, I'm desperate. Paul says this, I do not look to the past. And this is where I differ from some of my brothers in the ministry on this interpretation. There are those who would want you to hold that and let that define you, right? We are destitute people. We are despicable people. Paul said, there is an old man and there is a new man. Paul says, I strain towards the goal, forgetting what is in the past. Jesus does not want you to hold on to the definition of the old man and this idea of being so destitute spiritually. But it is good for us, even as we take communion, to remember what He pulled us out of. Is it not? That's where this idea poor that Jesus is trying to communicate is that it is a verb, it is an understanding that in and of ourselves... We just cringe. We lower ourselves. We humble ourselves in spirit. This is not what we see all around us today. Brothers and sisters, our rights are given to us by God. Now some of those rights God gives through our government. Amen? But nobody. We've been told we can't sing today. Are you going to sing? Okay? I can sing without moving my lips. No government can steal that away from me. No man can steal that away from me. And what Jesus is saying is, humble yourself in your spirit so that I can lift you up. He's saying, I don't want to compete with you because you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. But you will be blessed if you take this position of being poor in spirit. This is so countercultural to everything that we're seeing today. But Dallas Willard stood in front of a ruckus crowd 
and change the whole demeanor of that room. George Mueller quietly and prayerfully changed millions of lives that were destitute. Not because of anything George Mueller did, but because of him humbling himself, being poor in spirit, therefore saying, your will, not my will. Amen? Let's get a little bit more definition here. This is not a status. It, it is our life lived out that defines us. So, I already read this to you, what, what Mueller says in, in understanding a little bit more definition of this poor in spirit. So this morning, you see the obvious tension, right? Is that we're told that we will be blessed, we will be given a deep satisfaction and be pleased in spite of our circumstances if we humble ourselves and pull ourselves down with our opinion, our will that wants to compete with God. You see the tension? Every day that tension is there. Every day that tension is there. I get asked multiple times throughout the week during this pandemic, how should we look at this? How should we look at this? Can I encourage you? Look to the Beatitudes. Look to Christ. And you will skirt, you will just float right on by so much of the junk. God is in control, or is He not? The church will more than survive this. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine us doing this without modern medicine? What a disaster it would be then, correct? Can I just tell you, it's, it's happened multiple times in the history of the world without modern medicine. It's happened during the church age multiple times. It happened a hundred years ago in this nation with the Spanish flu. And we just started to have some medication, but nowhere close to what we have now. And it may seem that the church is being put under pressure. It is. But the church will rise up if we are poor in spirit. The church will survive if we are poor in spirit. We will be blessed. So the last part is the kingdom of heaven. What, what do we do with that? What does that look like? What is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, some cross-references you may want to write down. I, I don't have time to go into those references, but Isaiah 57.15 um, or James 4.10 speaks to this understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is. But specifically, for the sake of what we're discussing this morning, it's the idea of giving up our kingdom, we inherit God's kingdom. Which kingdom do you want? Which kingdom do you live for? And remember, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate, is if you want to be blessed and inherit that kingdom of heaven, then you will live as one who is poor in spirit. And by the way, I've given you the demonstration of it. Let me turn to that, and you can turn with me, Philippians 2. I'm getting a little confused between two services. I have not read the Philippians 2 passage yet in here, right? Okay, just wanted to make sure. Listen to this, because here is the description. What I have told you that I know for sure is talking about verse 45, where he says, and God makes it rain on the, on the righteous and the unrighteous, and then he gives us these beatitudes that are so hard and difficult, but they come with promises. How can we do this? By looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? Remember, the struggle between Jesus and another governor, the prefect Pilate. 
Do you remember the situation? Do you remember Jesus being before Pilate? And Pilate being confused and befuddled and didn't know what to do, but knew a little bit that he probably shouldn't go there. He's just, you know, he's got a little sense. I, I probably should hold this one close to the chest and be slow to speak. But he says, do you not know that I have the power to kill you? Do you not know that I have the authority to take your life? And Jesus responded, how? He said, you have no authority. Boom! Just sounds like so many of the churches I've heard this week, right? Governor Newsom, you have no authority. Screw you! Come sing with us! Right? Does that sound like blessed are the poor in spirit? But this is our right! He's interfering with our rights! So much of the church has been fed this litany that in the end times, the government is going to crack down on the church and we will, we will not be able to worship. We will not be able to survive. We will be persecuted. And here's the crazy thing. Why are we not embracing that if that's actually happening? You want to hold up the end times? You want to hold up the second return of Jesus Christ? I don't. Man, I'd love for him to come back before lunch today. But we have gotten so enamored with this. Guys, this is a train wreck. But we've gotten so in love with this that we're like, don't mess with our rights. No, mess with my rights, man. The faster Jesus can come back, the better. I don't have to worry about pandemics ever again or sin or anything. And I get to be with all of you in a sinless state before my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Bring it. And if I think that way, guess what? I am not scared anymore about what happens. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be irresponsible. Because some of you, you know, if I was sitting where you were sitting, I'm like, well, then why in the world are we wearing masks? Because of what I'm about to read to you. You are practicing, watch this, in real time. Remember, I told you the definition of poor was not a noun. It was a verb. It's action. You are practicing being poor in spirit this morning. Each one of you. I know that mask. I can see it in, on your eyes. You're, you're fogging over. And some of you don't even have glasses and you're fogging over. By the way, Jesus didn't stop with that statement, did He? I stopped the statement. Because it sounds so relative to what I hear all around me by the church. You have no what? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have no authority other than that which has been given to you by my Father. How worried are you? How worried are you? Why don't we just practice being poor in spirit and let Jesus rise above it all? By the way, we have to wear masks. We can't use words during our singing. Jesus was facing an individual that was going to kill him. Now we're talking persecution. But Jesus understood the Father's plan, right? He understood the Father's plan versus His own desires. And He said, Thy will, not My will be done. And it kind of worked out really good, didn't it? And Jesus went and suffered and died and did all that for joy that we might be saved. So this is what Paul says. 
that this is a perfect picture. Remember I told you it was foreshadowing? Jesus gives you this instruction. And He's saying, watch, I'm going to practice this. This is attainable, this is doable, this is preferable. And so Paul says it this way, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, I'm in chapter 2 of Philippians, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being made of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry, mask, no mask, or conceit, I know better, but in humility, poor in spirit, count others more significant than yourselves. This is why you're wearing a mask today, by the way. Thank you. You're demonstrating love, even though it's an inconvenience. You're demonstrating a love towards those in the room that are worried, that are nervous about contracting this, but they want to come and worship as well. So thank you so much. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Now, if you have an NIV or you have a NASB, Trish, what does yours say there? Your attitude. Your be attitude. Right? Be this in your attitude. That's why they're called the Beatitudes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in His likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Bad story, bad ending. We watched a movie last night and everybody turned on me around 11 o'clock and said, well, that was horrible. Thanks for choosing that movie. It was one of those movies that like at the end, like it's like tragic. And then they just roll the credits. And I was very unpopular last night. And if we stopped right here, if the gospel story stopped right here, it would be a tragedy. There's no point in telling you be poor in spirit. There's no promise. There's no, there's no pleasure. There's no satisfaction. And yet the story didn't stop there. Amen? It goes on and it says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our government, our health care system, they will all confess Jesus as Lord at some point in time. And some of those believers are in that system even now. And we are divided against them in opinion and we would slaughter them. These are our brothers and sisters. And they're doing what they're doing because they're trying to stop a pandemic. You may not agree. I may not agree. But what I can do is I can practice being poor in spirit and I can throw on a mask as an inconvenience because Jesus threw on a cross. Jesus threw on a cross. But did you catch the end that God exalted Him? This is the blessing at the end of every beatitude. So I'm going to go through all this humility and I'm going to give up my will versus, you know, and let your will carry out Jesus. Okay, but why? Why am I doing this? So that you can see a room changed. 
so you can see millions of people, no matter who you are, be changed and come into the kingdom so that you can walk through the rose garden on a, on a, 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 a very casual uh, saunter temporarily of heaven. There will be a day when we are fully there in heaven, but there are moments where God does things in a tremendous way so that we actually almost experience walking through the rural areas of heaven, metaphorically. This morning, when we look at this idea of giving up our kingdom, it's an exchange. It's our self-worth for true humility. The imperfect temporal for the glorious eternal. And this morning, my, my last... Um, encouragement or edification to you is this question. Do you want to take a quick stroll through rural heaven? When we do, it is evident and powerful and reaches beyond what we ever could imagine. And I will take you back to Pilate and Jesus. And I'll take you back to the adversary. And I'll take you to Jesus on the cross who in the worst moment says something that blows my mind but certainly demonstrates exactly what He says. Blessed are the poor in spirit as those who have, with great vigor, great animus, the insipid effort by the religious folks of the day to run Him through the horrible torture that He went through and the shame and the mocking of Jesus Christ. And yet, He demonstrates in these words the true essence of what it means to be poor in spirit when He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now that is heaven. That is heaven. And I dare say that what happened at the end of that is like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter. Seems like it didn't work out real well for Jesus. It worked fine for Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what He was doing. And He suffered and He took on all that and set aside His will for the Father's will in order that the following would happen. When a Roman soldier standing there watching and listening to everything is quoted as saying, surely this was the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, the world is watching the church. And more importantly, Jesus is watching the church. I cannot implore upon you in closing today how important it is that we practice what it means to be poor in spirit and let God dictate His will through His church and that we find comfort, satisfaction, and pleasure in that. When we do, we will be blessed.